caminan por España, va el Madrid con su bandera. And welcome to Real Madrid Weekly. Uh, it's the second uh, ever edition of this new uh, podcast. This is Gabe from Managing Madrid, and joining me uh, on the telephone, or really by Skype, are Corey and uh, Mark from um, from Real Madrid Football Blog. How's it going, guys? Pretty good, yourself? I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm uh, feeling pretty good about about the weekend uh, in kind of the overall overall kind of Real Madrid way. Uh, no, obviously, I'm not exactly. I'm not psyched about the way we played. But so let's just jump right in. Um, what are your What are your thoughts on on the Valencia game? I'll just toss that toss that out to both of you. you go first. Um, a lot of people have said it's was a bad performance. I think that's to be expected when you go up against a, a strong team like Valencia at their home stadium. Um, I like the mental toughness. I wasn't happy with some of the refereeing decisions and I thought the controversy surrounding the penalty was a bit uh, a bit stupid. It was clearly not a penalty. But um, in the end it's it's an important three points and I think it uh, it goes a long way um, towards building the confidence of the team in this I'd say pivotal run of games all the way up to the Christmas break. Um, with you know Atletico coming up and Barcelona coming up, even that trip to Gijón next weekend is going to be or two weeks from now is going to be very difficult. So I think it was a very good win. Yeah, Mark, do you uh, have anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I think uh, it's. I'm finding it. I wanted it, the first instinct I I had in me was to call it uh, a character win. You know, one of those wins where you basically show character in. You under difficult circumstances, for players being injured, unavailable, or uh, not being fully fit. You know, as in the case of guys like Arbeloa, and you know, and even Ronaldo, who you know was doubtful for the game. So, but I'm kind of having a difficult time coming to that conclusion. If you look back to the game and you realize that we actually squandered a two goal lead twice in the game. But having said that, um, eking out a win at the Mestalla is is a very very big thing. Uh, especially against this particular Valencia side, who were really, really clearly up for it uh, last Saturday. So in that sense, yes, I am very, very happy. I mean, I think there are a few blemishes uh, tactically. I didn't like to see Ozil uh, shunted into the right wing. I would have preferred him to play his preferred role behind the striker. So, uh, yeah. And uh, overall, I thought, you know, it was refreshing to see, you know, Sergio Bama score off a, score off a header once again and um, that goal by Benzema was an absolute peach. Yeah, it really was, wasn't it? That was uh, that was beautiful. I I'm I'm pretty much with you guys on this one. I at you know, at first I was kind of disappointed by the way everything shook out because I thought that Madrid would be you know, I don't know, maybe come in and, and dominate a little bit like we did last year. But, you know, the fact is that Mestalla, I thought that one of the big the big things in the game was was the crowd and, and how they affected really both sides and, and the tenor of the match. Um, do you guys feel like the, uh, you know, we, we came out and there was it was a pretty physical match. Now, what, what do you think was the main factor there? Do you think that uh, Mourinho came out looking for that kind of game? Do you think that the, the Valencia players maybe got spurred on a little bit by the crowd? Uh, or do you think it was kind of a combination of factors? I think there was a lot of um, build-up to this game because there was an international break, so there was a lot of time for the Valencia squad to sort of think about how they were going to play. And I think they were very moti- more motivated than our players were, certainly. Uh, I think they were you know, snapping at the heels uh, every time they got close to the ball. 
And uh, that, that has to be expected from a, a team that's in third place playing at home against Real Madrid. Um, they're going to want to kind of boss you around physically because they might not be able to compete with um, the way you move the ball. But I think they actually were very competitive. I think it was a fairly open game. Madrid didn't play as well as probably you would expect it to. Um, but I'm not too concerned about that. Again, it's early. It's still early in the season. This is one of our first games against the big side. You don't want to peak in in the middle of November. You want to peak in say March and April. So I uh, I don't think that uh, you should look too much into the performance. Yeah, I think that's pretty much what I was going to take out of it, too. I mean, I, I especially thought that the international break uh, kind of affected our rhythm a little bit. I, I don't know if that makes sense. Exactly. Yeah. I totally agree. Um, you know, we talked about like, Arbelo apparently asked to be substituted uh, in the second half and uh, for Albiol to come in. Ronaldo, you know, we were actually wondering gave the, the days leading up to the match if he was going to play because uh, he came back to Madrid from, the, from uh, international duty with uh, some form of injury. And, uh, I mean, Higuain flew all the way from South America. And Marco ran this hilarious uh, graphical comparison of the journey that uh, Higuain took from Argentina to Madrid versus that of Leo Messi in a way as to kind of uh, boast of the organizational capabilities of Mourinho to, you know, save uh, Higuain an extra five or six hours of, of, uh, of flight time. But the guys are clearly fatigued and... As Corey said, you know, I think Valencia, they were clearly up for it. Um, you know, we, we talked about, uh, we talked last week about how, you know, them missing Ever Banega is basically going to essentially render their midfield very, very limp. But I thought that uh, Abelda was quite lively out there, and I thought he was quite instrumental in stopping Marcelo from being effective. So I think in many ways, yeah, they were very, very up for it. And I sense that in many ways when the second half, in a way, degenerated into just kind of like this yellow card festival that, uh, in a way, it was also uh, Valencia's frustration that, you know, they really came into this game believing that they were going to win. And, you know, they spent you know, the, the majority of the uh, of the starting period of the second half just expressing that frustration, I felt. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, now, let's talk really, I mean, really briefly, because I do want to come back to the tactics a little bit, because I think that there's a lot there. But let's really briefly address, uh, and then we'll probably do the handball stuff at the very end, <laughs> because uh, I don't want to I don't want to go into that too much. But let's talk a little bit about about the yellow cards uh, and, and kind of the, the, the tiffs that we were having there. Do you think that there was, um, I don't know, I, I've heard a lot of uh, different kind of opinions on this. Now, wh- what did you think about the refereeing at that at that juncture? Uh, <clears throat> I thought the refereeing was quite poor. Um, I mean, obviously the handball decision was the correct one to be made, but beyond that, I think he had a, a very rough game. Um, I thought that the second goal for Valencia had crossed the line, the initial cross. I mean, it shouldn't ha- should not have stood. Um, but yeah, a lot of the yellow cards were... I think the referee got caught up in sort of the drama of the game and in the crowd noise and all of that, and was too quick to go to his pocket. In a game of this nature, there's going to be fouls, but you have to only penalize the serious fouls, not the, the little niggling ones. So uh, I was not happy, especially the Zabi Alonso yellow card. I thought that was unfortunate, and I do believe he's going to miss um, the next match now. Is that correct? I, I think so. Uh, no. Maybe not. Uh, actually, he would need to get another yellow card to miss the next match. That's oh, why okay. I, there, there's discussions on whether or not he should intentionally... 
uh, get himself yellow carded in the Atleti game uh, so as to miss the Sporting game and make sure that he's available for the classical. I think Man, that's Sammy definitely... Lanzo's not the best tacker in the world, so I don't think he would intentionally need to try <laughs> to get yellow card. I think he would probably get one in the derby. Um, I yeah, I, I yeah, think so. That's a good point. That's a good point. Uh, I, I also, I mean, even if, if he doesn't, I think that we should, I mean, I know that people don't love that about, you know, soccer, but I think that probably it would be a, it would be a smart move. Um, now, I, 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 I suppose that I, I you know, I, I didn't love the refereeing, but I thought that it was, it was pretty, you know, neutral in terms of the way that, uh, you know, it was handled, even though Madrid got more yellow cards and maybe, uh, some of the cards were could have been given to Valencia players also the same kind of fouls uh but did you think did you guys see any i mean i know that they're like trying to find bias is ridiculous but did you think that the this whole foul situation i guess mark this question is for you because Corey just went is this is this a little bit um did you see any of the bias that either side is talking about here i don't take it as as a as a kind of bias i don't think i don't agree with the statements that the referee uh, favored Valencia or Real Madrid, you, you know, in any way, in, in the way he basically handed out the yellow cards in the second half. What I thought was quite interesting, and to me, this is telling uh, as about, this is very, very revealing as to how bad a referee job he did uh, last Saturday, was the fact that normally yellow, yellow cards are thrown out at that rate uh, by referees who are trying to establish control of the game and trying to keep the players from being too physical and losing their tempers and, and things like that. and um, But he actually did the exact opposite because, you know, even as he handed out those yellow cards, in no way was he basically asserting or establishing control of the game or over the players in, in handing out those yellow cards. And I, th- I thought it was quite obvious, you know, with, with the explosion of the Valencia complaints and the surrounding of the referee over the handball thing, that, you know, he had by that time completely lost uh, control of the game. And I think it's going to continue to spin on in the press and all of these things until maybe we get to the next, you know, jornada. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Now, Cord, you you don't have anything to add to this particular one. Yeah, I think the bias is a little... There's not really bias. I think that home teams traditionally get more calls simply because they're the home team. They have the crowd in their favor. It's just kind of the dynamics of a game. Um... But yeah, I think that the, the Valencia players um, have a perceived, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? They're, they're, they seem like they're always, their backs are against the wall, against everybody. They have this sort of victim position all the time. Uh, I think the comment uh, from Jeremy Matthew that Real Madrid does not respect Valencia, it's like, what, what, yeah, why? Well, what, where did that come from? Why do we not respect Valencia? Uh, it it grows tiresome. I mean, just get on with the game. Quit with these 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 words that really don't mean anything. And the bias, the referee. I mean, decisions they even out over the course of the year. So if there was some sort of bias there, I suppose that they would probably get it back from another referee at a different game and be lucky to win that one. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Think, uh, maybe for for Gabe, maybe I want to ask you because. Uh, I, I just I read Phil Ball and Sid Lowe's art columns and the commentary uh, from the podcasts in other podcasts, and they're saying that because Spain had just recently concluded the elections, and apparently the the new president I think is a is, a, is an openly confessed Real Madrid fan. He is, yeah. As, 
as far as I understand, replaces a Barcelona fan president. And it's, this somehow, you know, tempers in some way the, the mindset of the people about the favors uh, that Real Madrid and is getting uh, with the referees and in some bizarre and strange way, as if to suggest and uh, fuel these uh, conspiracy theories about biases. Do, do you sense that as, as, you know, as a guy living in Madrid? Um, I, well, okay. First of all, um, I, I think that anyone who, who genuinely thinks that the government is – I mean, okay, obviously there's a lot more going on here. As Americans, it's hard for us to think about that back in – you know under the dictatorship, the idea of the government tampering in soccer matches was not crazy. Okay, now it's it's insane to uh, to me. It sounds insane to think that just because there's a Real Madrid fan president, there's going to be some sort of huge coup for Real Madrid. Just like there probably wasn't a huge coup for Barcelona under Zapatero. Uh, I don't think there's going to be a huge coup for Real Madrid under Rajoy. But yes, I actually do hear uh, a good deal about um, him being a Real Madrid fan. It's kind of shocking, Jenny. Actually, um, Corey, do you want to add something to that? No, well, I think it's a little ludicrous that because this guy won an election that was actually declared after the game, there would be some sort of perceived bias between the federation, the referees, and the government. Uh, it's it's superstition, it's distrust of, of authority, it's typical of the Spanish mindset. Um, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it, but I think you don't have to read too far into it to see that it's a bunch of crap. Yeah, yeah, I think that I think that's pretty much where, and it's also where most. You know, sane people that aren't Marca journalists are on, are on it. Pretty much. Um, but yeah, so uh, let's let's jump uh, let's jump a little bit back to, to talk a little bit more about the tactics because um, we did come out in a in a four three three with uh, with Loss and Kaka or Loss, excuse me, and Kadira and Shabi in the midfield pivot uh, or trivet. Now, do you think that uh, that affected how we how we kind of conducted uh, our defense and our attack? Because I saw Kadira in you know running forward and blasting shots a lot more than I remember seeing him doing that in other games. I guess, Corey, this one can be for you. Um, I, I liked, I think that because we played in with the three central midfielders of the Trivolte, um, I think you had more freedom for Kadira to, to move forward, which is something he did really well during the World Cup, if everyone remembers. He sort of um, pushed forward a lot uh, when cause him and Schweinsteiger had a very good understanding that one had to stay back. Obviously, Zabi Alonso usually does stay back, but I think he's still, like I said, not a great tackler, kind of weak on the defensive side. Uh, and Kadira is mindful of this, so he sort of tempers his runs forward. Um, I, I liked what I saw from him. I know he's a complete player. I know he's limited by Mourinho. Um, but I also liked what I saw from last. Oh, yeah. and, and based on the, the, the two, I, it's tough to pick one or the other because they both bring something to the game, but I think that they're almost inseparable in that role next to Zabi Alonso. They, they both kind of have the same skill set. Maybe Kadir is a little bit better moving forward. Maybe last is a little bit better moving backwards. Um, it's kind of a mix and match type thing. Who you're playing is, is probably who you want in that role type thing. Yeah. Yeah. Do uh, you want to add something to, to that, Mark, or do you want to plot forward on this? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I Michael Cox of Zonal Marking, he... he did a little review of the game, and I thought what he said about the the trivote, the way we applied the trivote at least, was, was quite interesting in the way that because you had Las and Kedira applying pressure very, very high up on the pitch at, at the Valencia midfielders, uh, at the 
at the Valencia defenders and uh, defenders and defensive midfielders who are trying to start the attack. Basically, it kind of left, left Chabi uh, kind of alone by himself at his favorite position and away from all the disturbances of Valencia midfielders swarming all over him because basically these two pests in Las and Kedira were out there creating trouble on, on the Valencia side. And that basically allowed Xabi Alonso's game to flourish uh, very, very much so because of you know the, the kind of trouble that Las and Kedira were, were creating on the Valencia side of, of the field. And I thought that, that was that's that's quite um that's quite a that's quite a distinctive observation for him to make, considering the fact that we always have this impression that, you know, Kedira and Las would be basically the guys who would be sitting deep and trying to win balls and things like that. Instead it basically it became a reverse and it liberated Chabi Alonso. Um, I think the the other thing that maybe is uh, should be kind of um, maybe talked about a little bit uh, a little bit more is the the balance of uh, as Corey mentioned of Kedira basically going forwards and backwards. Of course, he still has this knack for um, wasting goal scoring chances, but I suppose maybe that's really not in his nature. But I thought you know this is definitely an option and. Uh, maybe in a way, um, it's actually the injuries, the unavailability of Coentrao, uh playing on, on playing in one of the flank roles, the unavailability of Kaká, that also kind of brought Mourinho to this kind of default position where he probably said, well, "Might as well play at Trivote because I have so many guys who could play uh, behind Benzema who are injured. I only have Ronaldo and Osil available." Yeah, that that yeah that that that's an interesting interesting point. Um, now I I, I you know one of my think the problems that I had with this setup is that, as, as we said kind of in the open, uh, it, it left Ozil um, pretty much uh, crammed on, on the side. And, uh, you know, it, it seemed like Valencia actually you know, have a couple of strong center defenders, uh, but their, you know, their, wing, you know, their, their wing backs are you know, very attacking in, in Alba and Miguel, but and, and, and in a lot of ways can be caught out on the back. And, and I thought that Ozil's position didn't do the best for helping us uh, to catch out the backs like like we could have. Now, do you guys feel that way, or are you uh, you think I'm a little crazy? No, I think that's fair because Valencia, uh, as I mentioned in my preview of the game, use their their wing backs as almost uh, midfielders at times. How far forward they get, and I think if you know Ronaldo was positioned well to to exploit that, but Ozil is is not really a uh, a wide midfielder. He doesn't really play the flank very well. He doesn't see those opportunities as well as he does in the middle of the field. So I think that's a fair point. And uh, possibly going with a Kaká or a Di Maria there would have been better. But, of course, both of them were injured. So uh, I think he kind of had his hand forced. And, and we've seen from Callie Holm that he's not as aggressive a player as Diana a player to Espanol yet. Um, people have said that's because Mourinho's limiting him. I think if he was given the start, he maybe would have had the shackles off a bit, and I think that would have been a wise move from Mourinho. But as it is, I mean, in the game we won it, so I guess we can't complain too much. It's also it's, it's got to be hard to to sit Özil in in favor of Callejon, even even if the game mm-hmm. is uh, you know it, it really requires it, right? I mean, just... yeah. Well, I think definitely Mourinho will play the best players he has available and try to come up with a. With a, with a whatever tactical formation or scheme that he feels can uh, make use of the, his best players available, and uh, unfortunately, I think 
in a way, number one, the reputation of Osil as having played on the right side, I think, before when he was loaned out to Schalke and at times for Werner Bremen when he was in Germany, maybe created this impression that he can be effective in the right side. And at times we've also seen him, you know, make some brilliant assists from right-sided positions. And, you know, it probably, you know, gave him this kind of unfair tag as a guy who can do things on the right side. But, you know, as Corey said, I think it's really when he plays in the middle where he finds the, the holes, where he finds the, the opportunities and he finds the openings to, to carve the game open for the, for the attacking players. Actually, I would have uh, very, very much liked to have seen um, Mourinho play a kind of narrow, you know, rombo with um, Osil basically at the tip of that little narrow diamond with uh, Kedira and Las uh, slightly behind him and Xabi Alonso at the bottom with uh, sort of Ronaldo and Benzema sort of drifting wide and drifting into the middle. Um, I would have kind of liked to see that. And actually, I do remember that in the after the Manita uh, at the hands of Barcelona last season, when uh, we played against Valencia at the Bernabeu and Mourinho wanted to play a cautious formation, he also played at Trivorte. I, I thought I saw Osil in that role quite a few times. And I thought, you know, though the game was generally not good for Madrid at, at that particular game, I thought that, you know, the application uh, showed some promise. And I would have liked to see that. And I think it's a kind of formation that maybe like a 4-3-1-2 that we see quite frequently in Serie A. Maybe I would have wanted to see that tried it maybe in small segments of the game to see if it would it would have worked. Yeah, that that you know that that's an interesting you know, it's an interesting uh, tactical idea I think uh, you know especially well considering all the different options we have. Um, now I, I suppose we have to get to it right. We we have to talk about it at the you know that little bit at the end uh, that that everyone's so up in arms about. We have to touch on it. Um, yeah, do you do you guys either of you want to even to to, to to jump in on this one because I I don't even think that there's tons more to be said than has already been broken down by all the hundreds of millions of video replays and articles <laughs> that have been written about it. I mean, really, how can we expect the referee to make you know what is the right call when we can't, after days of looking at video, figure out what the right call is? Well, I agree. In a way, it's kind of. Uh one of those like spur of the moment decisions by the referee. Um, you know, I can, I've seen maybe two or three angles of, of the replays and quite a few photographs. And I'm maybe it's, I, I will, I will admit that maybe my decision or my decision or my observation is informed by uh, my Real Madrid bias, but I do believe that it, it was not a handball, you know, that Iguain opened up his, stuck his arm out as if to um, stick his chest out and uh, I saw a photograph of the ball, which basically the ball is literally sunken into that part of his chest where his right nipple would probably be or around that. So it's not really the, the arm or the bicep. It's actually right around that right nipple area where the ball, I find, b- bounces off. Um, I think that, of course, it's all, but from the photographs and the videos, it's definitely um, still... The kind the the, the the photographs of the videos that we've seen are basically still open up avenues for Valencia fans or anti-Madridistas to claim that it is a handball. But yeah, you know, to me these are just kind of like judgment calls that referees make, and you know, in a way, you know, you can call it luck even if he did, you know, handle it or if it did touch touch part of his arm. Yeah, that's pretty much where I am, Corey. You don't have anything else to add on this, do you? No, it wasn't a penalty. It hit his uh, 
his armpit. Never really even touched the arm. If it did, it was the, the underside of the bicep, which is technically the armpit. Um, that's not a handball. You can read the FIFA rules. It's a little ambiguous, but you know, I've, I've taken refereeing classes, and that was, that's never a penalty. Now, as someone who's also taken refereeing classes, am I crazy to think that if that ball gets past him, two things. First of all, it, it looks to me on all the replays like it's going right at Iker, so it doesn't matter. And uh, two, I think there's someone next to Iker on the goal line who, if the ball goes to that side, is offsides and the goal gets waved off anyways because he's interfering in the play and blocking the keeper. Is this, is this That's a very, very dynamic observation. I, I never thought of that, and... I'm actually glad you said it because it's one of those things you can kind of utter away to Valencia fans for them to just be a little bit more quiet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's kind of where, I mean, what, what, like just looking at that replay, that's kind of what, what came to my mind. Um, so I think we can put this matter to bed pretty much. I think that probably the more or the less we talk about it, the better. Um, now, something that we really should talk about is um, you know I don't uh, we we have a, a match today a um, Champions League match against uh, Dinamo Zagreb um, and unless you guys have anything else to to say about the Valencia match uh, I can you know figure we just kind of plow on here yeah we should all right all right so let's talk about Dinamo uh, it looks like Nuri Shaheen is going to start good call that's the first thing I was gonna say I'm very very excited yeah. to see this guy play yeah. good call right. Yeah. 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 I, I, I predict he'll probably get like maybe sixty minutes, he'll start the game until maybe the arm mark and then maybe Marine will sit him down. And I just hope that he plays well enough to get a good ovation from the Bernabeu. You know, give you know, give him uh, that kind of shot in the arm confidence to, you know, plow on for the next few games and you know, hopefully be fit and be a legitimate option for the El Clasico. Yeah, it sounds right to me. And now it it also looks like it's it's an opportunity to finally give Shabi some rest. That's that's what the Kind of the underlying logic is here, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so now, do you you think he starts? Are we looking at another four three three situation, or are we looking more um, with a double pivot in in midfield with him and Loss? Corey, uh, it's tough. I would say it's probably going to be Loss and Sahin. Um, I think Kadira will get sat, get a rest. I guess he was you know on international duty. Um, Sahin actually will play even deeper than Zabi Alonso at times, so that'll be interesting to to watch. Um, whether Mourinho uses him as almost like a auxiliary defender at times, and that's kind of a one of the things coaches have been using lately is, is the sort of the defensive midfielder dropping deep into that center back role, or, or at least in Barcelona's case with no squad depth having to use him as a, an out-and-out center back at times. Um, I also think that it's important to remember that Sahin is still quite fragile, uh, not up to speed in terms of fitness, and I uh, don't expect too much in terms of the passing game. I think he's going to keep it simple and short. Um, he's a Mourinho player, so he doesn't want to make any mistakes first and foremost. Uh, he wants to follow out his instructions on the tactical end. Um, so don't expect too much from him, but he will have a good game. Definitely will have a good game. Yeah, I, I, I think. Well, that, yeah, it's exciting. No, no, go ahead. I, I am. I, um, I was just gonna state that I, I feel pretty much the same way as, uh, as Corey about that. Well, the other thing I want to add is, um, I'm, not, I'm actually very, very unsure as well whether we'll be seeing a three-volted tonight or, or not. But um, 
towards the end of the Valencia game, we saw Esteban Granero get a few minutes. I think he played about five minutes plus the four minutes of injury time. And um, in that kind of lineup, he played as, you know, one of the three in the Trivote. So I'm also keeping my fingers crossed that we see a Trivote with a midfield of, you know, Xabi Alonso last and Granero. And uh, hopefully our, you know, our El Pirata can see, uh, you know, a, a good amount of action and get his confidence up and be a solid contributor for the team. Yeah. Um, now, it, going into this match, uh, we, we are looking down the barrel of a ton of injuries. Uh, do you think, uh, are we, you know, is, so he, Mourinho said that Loss was going to start. Uh, do you think he starts in the midfield, or does he slot in at right back? Because we're having issues with Arbeloa not, you know, being officially left off the the list. Um, Albiol didn't look great in the Valencia match. Uh, so, do you think maybe Loss goes back into the right back position, or, or is that uh, is that a little bit kind of too speculative? I don't think it's necessary. Maybe Mourinho might think that he can just throw Sergio Ramos right into right back and Albiol and Pepe at the center back position. I mean, I think that the fact that Albiol played right back uh, when Albiol came off and instead of Ramos switching over to right back is very, very telling in the way that Mourinho, I think, has probably decided that, okay, Sergio Ramos is a center back. He's best as a center back. He's very, very good in this role. And the partnership with Pepe is, is turning out to be fantastic. But, you know, since, it, you know, in many ways, this is a dead rubber, I, I find. So maybe he'll just say, OK, let's, you know, let's put Albiol, let, let's allow him to get some game time in uh, at the center back position and give Ramos the right back position. You know, uh, I think in center back position, you have a few other alternatives. I think Varane can probably get a few minutes as well. And yeah. And uh, with regards to last, I think the midfield is, 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 a, is a bit of a is a bit of a problem. Um, if you want to rest Chabi Alonso, if you want to rest Kedira, uh, maybe another guy who I think will start tonight will be Gonzalo Higuain. I think it might be a good chance for him to, you know, um, uh, get better, get the groove of European competition because he hasn't played very, very well in the Champions League over the course of his career. So, you know, I'd like to see him get some minutes and hopefully score a few goals. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, this has looked like it's setting up for you know, on, on the surface, if you didn't, you know, know that Madrid was kind of lacking in, in a few of the key areas uh, going into the match, it would look like pretty pretty much a, a very simple match. And obviously, we need to take one point out of our next two matches to win the group. Um, we're obviously mathematically qualified. I don't think it's going to be complicated. At the same time, I didn't like, I did really, the last match that we had against Dinamo, it was only one nothing, and it was extremely physical. Cristiano came away with that bloody ankle. Obviously, we're wearing the the red jersey, so I wasn't psyched about that either. But uh, <laughs> um, what do you guys what do you guys think of in in, in terms of uh, you know I don't know how 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 the match is going to play out? Maybe in terms of score, in terms of uh, easiness, Corey. Um, since it is sort of a dead rubber game, I suppose. There's not going to be too much emphasis on running the score up. I think uh, one or two goals will probably be comfortable for, for Real Madrid. Uh, I can't see Zagreb offering too much. They, they seem to be um, completely out of all the running. They're not certainly going to make the Europa League. So I think they'll enjoy their trip uh, to Madrid. Um, they'll probably play fairly, fairly defensively, do a few counterattacks, but I think that they're going to be under under the cosh the entire night, and uh, uh, two to three goals 
should be sufficient. Uh, again, I'm not. Don't watch this game expecting a wow or amazing performance. I think this is just a game you have to win and get through. It's just a you know, it's there. You have to do it and then move on. Their heads are going to be on in the uh, derby on the weekend. Yeah, and we'll 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 get into that in, in a second. Um, Mark, what what do you think would be your prediction for this match? I. I don't expect a cricket scoreline, um, especially if we don't necessarily play with with the best players available. I would like to see Ronaldo get a rest. I would like to see, though it's, it's unlikely, I'd like to see Xavi Alonso definitely get a rest. And basically minutes for our, our, our guys who are in the periphery of the team who haven't been getting, you know, a lot of minutes like Granero, Callejon, you know, guys like this. And maybe, hopefully, you know, even a few cameos for a few Cateranos. But uh, it like, no, looks like the squad uh, list is out. And yeah. That's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Wishful thing there. Yeah. So, I, I do think that, you know, it's still going to come out a Real Madrid win, maybe like a one, two goal win. And, you know, but I think the more critical thing is, you know, getting points in the bag and getting our our guys in the periphery of the squad, you know, some some valuable minutes and game time. Yeah, that's pretty much where I am. I mean, I think it'll be interesting also to to watch some of these guys and to see if uh, if anyone can really step up and make a make a mark. Maybe not for a starting spot, but for increase like to make an argument at least for increased playing time. Uh, obviously, the, the the main person to keep your eyes on is Shaheen, given that we haven't seen too much from him this year. Uh, but it would be great if we could get Granero, um, Callejon. Uh, obviously, I would love to see Jesse, Murata, all these wonderful people uh, to come in. But obviously, it's not going to happen, unfortunately. Uh, well, we'll have to- keep in mind, Castilla has a, a derby of their own this weekend against Atletico B. Um, Bay, excuse me. And they are top of the league table right now in their group um, in the Segunda Bay. So um, I think it's almost behooves um, Reno to not take any of those players and let them focus on their weekend match um, because they are on the preface that are very close to being promoted um, if they continue this run of form. If they can you know, keep churning out games, they, they might be able to build a bit of a lead and stay you know, in first or at least in promotion places for most of the season. Um, I think that's probably the ultimate goal beyond getting you know, some of these younger guys into the first team. And keep in mind, a lot of the most talented players in the Castilla team are still quite young, and I think they still have a year or two before they're ready for first-team football. So um, I understand Mourinho's decision probably to not bring them along, um, but I'd also like, you know, any fan wants to see um, some of the young players. Yeah, definitely. Um, and obviously watching the Castilla game would be, you know, advisable if you uh, if you if you can if you can find it. So it would be ex- it's very exciting actually. I watched one um, their their game over the weekend. It was extremely exciting actually, um, and it was fun to see all the all the kids and and they're great. So um, yeah, I, I'm pretty much in the in the same area in terms of the score uh, around three one uh, maybe maybe two nothing because Madrid hasn't really conceded. So let's um let's jump into the 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 derby. I mean it's the the big Atleti. The big Atleti Derby that in, in the past has really just been a whole pretty cool six points straight to Madrid. Do you think uh, you see anything changing? No, I don't. Um, <clears throat> I watched the Atletico Levante game this weekend, and um, while Atletico had a, an emphatic win, and, and the, the second goal for Levante was a last minute to almost tap in, um, I think that uh, there's enough enough there for Real Madrid to exploit. Um, their defense continues to be 
slow at times. Um, I think Alvaro Dominguez and Felipe Luis are, are quite good players. Um, Miranda, the, the Brazilian, is still new to the side and looked a little bit hesitant in some of his challenges. Um, they'll be without their starting right back, Silvio, so I'm not sure who they're going to play there. They might move Antonio Lopez over. Um, they're going to be without Falcao, which is unfortunate for them, probably good for our defense. Uh, I think Thiago will probably miss the game as well. Uh, he had a sort of a back spasm or, or something happened to him while running down a ball. Um, so that the midfield will be very depleted as well. And the coach, uh, Manzano, he continues to leave um, La Perla Reyes either out of the squad completely or on the bench. Um, but when he was brought on, he you know changed the game, created the, the two goals um, to go ahead. And uh, I think he may get the start, which would be probably the only headache for Real in terms of a defensive plan. Um, I'm not afraid of Adrian. I think uh, Salvio and Pizzi are, are useful little players, but not effective in terms of winning games. So um, You'd like to see Atletico be more competitive in these games, but I think that this game comes at a bad time for them, so I don't, I don't see this being uh, anything more than three points for Real. Yeah, Mark, do you feel do you have any, any, any differences there or pretty much the same idea? I pretty much agree that it's going to be uh, three points for Real Madrid. I do urge caution because, you know, though Atleti we know will probably go into this game with some kind of, uh, um, you know, psychotic uh, reflex to just self-destruct at the sight of Real Madrid. But uh, I think, you know, there's there's still uh, enough talent in that team to, you know, cause us a few problems. And, uh Maybe it helps that you know you have a coach like Mourinho who will definitely urge his uh, team into caution and to take these guys seriously and to make sure we got the three points in the bag. Um, yeah, and that plus I think you know on one hand you have Atletico you know back to their Jekyll and Hyde days, but I also think that the big thing is this Atletico seem to you know be falling apart you know in this Gre- uh, Gregorio Manzano era where. He's just somehow, I mean, I know he's getting wins in the bag, but come on, 3-2 against Levante isn't going to impress me. And even though I think he won this, he also won last weekend, but I'm still not finding that the, that the team is very, very convinced. And um, it's also the sort of thing we're in, you know, um, it, you know it's the sort of thing where, is the game going to be in the Calderon or at the Bernabeu? I think it's at the, the Bernabeu, way. right? Well, you know, exactly. So, I mean, I think either way, if, for example, things don't start working out for 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 Atleti, if it's at the Calderon, you know, then, then you know, you can end up with a situation where the fans start, you know, chanting Luis Aragones' name, right? And, but then again, if it's at the Bernabeu, you could probably also have the Bernabeu chanting Luis Aragones' <laughs> name at the Manzana, and that would be hilarious too. But yeah, and I think it can be a big psychological blow for Atletico, you know, if, if and they, they come with a big psychological disadvantage is basically what, what I want to say. So yeah, I think it's three points for Madrid, but we still need to take them very, very seriously. Yeah, it's three points for Madrid now. Uh, obviously, three points in the hand, uh, you know, a lot more than three points according to, to what we think. But uh, yeah, it doesn't look like it's going to change hugely. They do not look like a very good team at all. Uh, they they just haven't been they've just been so bad and it's it's kind of sad because uh, Falcao is, is really is he remains one of my favorite players in the entire pantheon of, of world soccer he's so much fun to watch 
but really he's he's a little bit wasted on this team. Um, and I really, I mean, I was really excited to see when they got Diego also, who is a player that I liked from, you know, 2006 maybe. Uh, but, you know, it's, it, it, they're an exciting team uh, and exciting. And I use that not in, like, necessarily a good way. I use it really just in a... <laughs> you have no idea yeah, what the roller coaster. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> roller coaster kind of exactly. So, you know, we never know what, what we're gonna get from them and you know, hell, maybe we're you know, they're gonna come out firing and, and uh and you know, maybe not beat us, but at least put a good give us a good scare, which uh you know, I don't think we could you know, we can ill afford to, to drop points and, and even a good scare from Atleti is, is wouldn't be wonderful. Uh now do you think now, in terms of uh, in terms of lineups, how how would you guys uh, proceed against a team like Atleti? Where do you think do you, do you see weaknesses in the uh, in like particular weaknesses that we can exploit? I guess Corey, this one's for you first. Uh, yeah, I think um, with Thiago being out, uh, they sort of rely heavily on uh, Mario Suarez to anchor that midfield, and I still think he, while a good player, uh, is inexperienced in, in big games like this, so. I think um, we'll see Xabi Alonso Kadira once again. I think um, as it was last year when we played Atletico in in, in their uh, home field, uh, Kadira will, will be pushed forward early on in the game um, a lot more than we're used to, and hopefully he'll be able to make use of the space that he's going to be afforded. If you remember last year, he had a great through ball on the set up a goal, uh, kind of justified him you know, being sort of a more attacking player, and we saw that against... Um, Valencia, where he was very involved in the, in the attacking play, and we liked what we saw. I think we'll see that again. But the other thing is, is that with um, Silvio out, I think Ronaldo's going to have um, definitely a probably a le- spare left back playing right back in Antonio Lopez. But maybe Manzano will use somebody else. Maybe he'll put Godin out there on the right, um, which would be interesting. Uh, I think we have him for pace at the back, certainly. And I think the only thing we have to watch out for is, is La Perla Reyes and, and his ability to sort of um, turn a game on the head, even though he might be completely disinterested in the game for most of yeah, it. Yeah. yeah, Mark, you wanted to add? Yeah, uh, I, I think the very, very simple weakness of Atletico is just right smack through the middle. I have absolutely no confidence in their midfield or the center of their defense to hold their own against our midfield or our attack. I think our guys uh, have the full capability to tear right through them. Uh, I think this is also partly the reason why I think Mourinho is absolutely taking no risk for uh, with, with Kaká. I think he's wanting to see Kaká play in this game. Um, and, you know, at the same time, you know, we in the meantime, we're giving the game time to, to Osil. And I think... When you're playing against a slow-footed uh, team, when you pressurize them at the back and you can hit them with quick counters with guys who can turn on the jets like Kaká has, has, you know, this kind of new Kaká uh, or uh, the old Kaká <laughs> in a way, um, I think it creates a lot of danger for, you know, against them. And I totally expect that, you know, we'll basically overrun them right through the middle. And I think the danger man agrees, I agree is Reyes because... He's just this guy who can be like just acting like a complete jerk off the entire game, just standing around doing nothing and just, you know, pretending like, you know, he's he's one of the spectators. Then he can just, you know, trick you into doing that for most of the game. And sometimes he could just turn up and do something special and uh, or create a little bit of trouble. So but I think when you got guys like Ramos or Arbeloa and, you know, it's, our center back pairing, 
I'm pretty confident that uh, we can have them under control. And I just realized that Luis Pereira will probably be playing it right back, which guarantees, <laughs> guarantees some sort of major error that we'll hopefully be able to capitalize on. Yeah, that's the key thing. We, we don't know. We know the error is going to come. If he's playing it right back, then maybe you can put a little bit of money on Ronaldo scoring a hat trick. <laughs> yeah, really. The poor guy, just he's a he's a giant air machine. Uh, he just has all these calamitous episodes every game. Um so I'm not sure what coaches see in him or why he's lasted so long in Atletico, but uh, he'll most likely be it right back. I'm not afraid of their front three without Falcao. Um, Arda Turan looks like a very one-dimensional player. Adrian, I've, I've actually been impressed with his movement off the ball, and he's actually quite uh, strong in the air. He heads the ball very well for such a small player. But he's going to be going up against two center backs that are much bigger than him and also very good in the air, so I don't think that will be a problem. And Diego, I think, has been completely off the pace. He has no connection with his teammates. He doesn't look like he's playing with a lot of confidence, which probably can stem from the, the sort of cloud of uncertainty around Atletico. Uh, and then, uh, you know, Mario Suarez will probably be in center midfield and most likely be partnered by Gabi. Two players... Good Spanish players for the league against Real Madrid, probably not going to cut the mustard. Yeah, it's, they're, I mean, I feel like uh, not tons of the Atleti, uh, Atleti players would be people that I would choose. Uh, I, even in my top, you know, 50 players or even even more <laughs> like to, to even come close to starting a game, important game against Real Madrid. Now, the, the, the news circulating in around Madrid right now is that Angel Di Maria will make uh, a return uh, for the, for the Derby. Uh, do you think that it's a good idea to push him to try to get him back for that match just to make sure that he has a little bit of game time before we have uh, Barcelona? Uh, I don't think it's necessary. I think the Gijon game would probably be, um, in terms of a matchup, probably it would be better even. Um, because I think Felipe Luis is is definitely a shutdown left back. He'll, he'll cover a player quite well and he moves forward well. I think he's very underrated. Um, and I think Di Maria coming off of an injury, probably not as fit as he needs to be. What he probably will would struggle in that matchup. Um, and I don't see any need to rush him back and you know risk reaggregating his injury um, for for this game. It doesn't seem like it's necessary. I think the Gijon game would probably be better to get him um, get him involved in the first team again. Yeah, that that seems pretty much right to me, especially because the risk reward profile here is just. It's such a low reward because we're probably winning this game anyways. Uh, I think you could certainly ride uh, Cristiano Ronaldo to a victory in this one um, without many of the players putting out much of an effort. So I don't see the need for Di Maria. You know, he's not going to be um, needed like in other games. Yeah, that's that's pretty pretty much where I, I am with this. Unless you know, unless he's a hundred percent cleared and everyone kind of expect that maybe he can get five ten minutes in at the very end of the game just to get a feel for it again. But really, the Hihon the Hihon match is going to be a good one for him to come back. Except for the fact that you know I do feel like Hihon, and we'll talk about this next week. But I do feel like they're uh, they're a pretty physical team, um, and they're going to be spurred on because you know Manuel Preciado really does not like. Uh, Jose Mourinho, as we remember vividly from last year's whole situation, uh, so I just wonder how physical and how you know how intense that that game's going to be, and that's why I was a little bit worried about Di Maria coming back from injury, just jumping right into to that thing. But you know, the next week is Barcelona, so it's not like we have tons of options for him. 
Well, I want to point out that uh, I think before the Gijon game in Barcelona, we also have a Champions League game against Ajax. So if we're only essentially talking about Di Maria getting like some, you know, substitute appearances, you know, like, you know, maybe start him playing like 10 minutes, then the next game you play him like half an hour, then the, the last game you give him like 60 minutes. So, you know, maybe the Atleti game you can give him a little bit. And then, I mean, we, we can... Uh, we can use also the Champions League game against Ajax, which will, I think, by then be a completely dead rubber for him to just, like, run around the field, get a feel of the game, get his rhythm back for the Classical. And I think I'll be totally okay with that. And, you know, if... But I think the whole Di Maria question will definitely have to depend on what his actual fitness status is in relation to, you know, uh, the, the schedule that we're trying to project for him. Because... You know, if if we're say if we're saying that he's completely okay physically, then I totally don't mind that he you know shows up in the Atleti game and you know runs around for a couple of minutes. But uh, if we're saying that you know he might not be fully fit yet and we're just really forcing him to get some game time, then I say not risk it. Yeah, leave him alone, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's that, 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 that's I think that's that's pretty much where most most of the analysts that I've seen have have landed on on this issue. Also, because you know, there's yeah, he, his his injury was is one that you can pretty easily fall back into, and uh, you don't want you, you know you don't want that anything like that again. So uh, that that is pretty much it. All right, well, uh, I think that that's pretty much it. Unless you all want um, have anything you know last comments you want to say. Um, if not, we'll go ahead and wrap this thing up. No, I think that's, that's pretty much that's it. About it yeah. All right, everybody, make sure to watch Real Madrid play tonight against Dinamo Zagreb. Uh, and, uh, you know, make sure to uh, check out our, our both of our sites. We'll have tons of previews and, you know, analysis and all the things you could possibly desire at uh, uh, realmadridfootballblog.com and managingmadrid.com. All right, well, it's great to talk to you guys as always. A la Madrid. A la Madrid. A la Madrid. Defendiendo tu color A la Madrid, a la Madrid, a la Madrid